Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Figure Podcast. Each week we figure out people, numbers and images of the past, present and future. And this week we have a bumper episode given our expedition to the Wilderness Festival. Isn't that correct? (laughs) (laughs) That is correct. Yes. Um, Where we actually met a lot of our favourite authors, podcasters, speakers, as well as having a great time listening to all the music and... Yeah. Camping. It was definitely the most inspiring festival I've ever been to, and it was so unexpectedly inspiring as well. I just mm. didn't think that we were going to see so many people that we ended up seeing, such as Bryony Gordon, mm. Clemmy Hooper. We knew about Emma Gannon. Mm. Afro, didn't know Afro. about Ethel Hirsch. Yeah. Uh, Venetia Faulkner. Oh, God. Which uh, Georgia majorly fangirled <laughs> over. <laughs> I fangirled over the acai smoothies <laughs> in Georgia. <laughs> over the talking taste buds host <sighs> yeah um, <laughs> we also um i didn't expect to meet the author of the stranger on the bridge johnny benjamin um, yeah he was so interesting didn't, didn't expect him to be there um and i'd heard about this story in the press years ago um about how this man found this other man um on waterloo bridge contemplating suicide and managed to talk him down and that was the man Johnny there with mm-hmm. his new book and then I think he reached out on social media and then actually found the stranger yeah. who had basically saved his life yeah and now they work together yeah on suicide prevention which is really cool in young men right? yes yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah I'm gonna cut to it and uh, ask okay. you your top five wilderness moments okay um <laughs> <laughs> so these are my top five moments I like you said they're hard you said before recording you said it's gonna be hard to choose so yeah forgive me if I've not put something in my top five, but you'll and then I'm going to it. pick up, pick up on it, and try and not repeat. Yeah. Okay. So my favourite moment of the entire festival was um, we were at the Luz, and um, <laughs> I was just coming out, and Charlotte goes, "Oh my God, that's that guy from Millie's. I want to go say hello." Trots over. I'm looking at from afar. She says hello, and everyone hugs. I was like, oh my god, what are the chances of him being here? This is so great. <laughs> Turns out, he was a complete stranger. <laughs> and he just went along with the whole thing. Went along with the whole thing. <laughs> and then adopted us into their group for the last, for the afternoon, which was actually quite fun. It was they really, were really fun. Nice. They were lovely. Oh my god. <laughs> he thought he hit the jackpot. I mean, he had this very gorgeous girl just go up and hug him, and he was just like, great. <laughs> I'm going to go with it. It was hilarious. Okay, second best moment. Escaping to the car to find more cider, air conditioning, and a meal deal. All of which were great. The cider saved us money. The air conditioning helped us survive. And the meal deal tasted great. (laughs) And was not not as expensive as some of the food that we enjoyed. Exactly. Third... Uh, which was probably the person I was most starstruck to meet with Bryony Gordon. Yep. Fourth was hadn't seen Bastille perform live and I was just really, really impressed and I absolutely loved it. Um, and then my fifth moment was um, on the Sunday evening where we could finally sit outside in the sun and it not be like, kill, not kill us when we were eating the garlic mushrooms and vegan burgers simultaneously. So we were there for like two and a half hours just chatting. Mm-hmm. And those are my top five. Yeah, great. Top five. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna sorry go if now. I've forgotten any. No, I'm sure. Well, there's just too many. Okay, just, there are too yeah. many. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is in no particular order. Um, we went to see Delilah Montague, who's going to be our guest yes. next week, who I've known for, I mean, 
almost as long as you Mm. um and we used to go on holiday together and she was performing and opened the whole show which was incredible she was performing on the main stage and then afterwards she said that she had some free vinyls of her single which will be coming out in the next few months and within about a minute they were all gone and i was very disappointed because i really wanted one. a huge swarm of people it was amazing it was great so i love seeing her um, the other music one was Chic, mm-hmm. who were absolutely phenomenal. We're covering this really well. Because <laughs> <laughs> those are all the things that are also my top favourite. Like a particular moment was now Roger's talking about having cancer and then mm. announcing that he no longer has cancer and the yeah. whole crowd just screams even more mm. than they did for Freak Out. Yeah. Uh, so I love that. Le Freak even. I got the name of the song wrong uh yeah aircon would definitely be up there the other car memory is driving back after bastille and at a quarter past midnight we put on the song a quarter past midnight and i took a screenshot and then took a screenshot (laughs) and just that kept me awake and then the other ones were kane seeing him at the so far sounds Mm -hmm. segment of the forum which we absolutely loved and he's a musician um, who's just incredibly talented and was accompanied by a brilliant violinist and three mm. um, backing singers as well. Yeah, and they introduced him as a multi-instrumentalist, which I didn't really know what that meant, but I think that's... Because he was basically playing the keyboard, singing, and also playing another device, which kind of looked like... Yeah. Sort of like a keyboard, but also like mixing deck. Yeah, really, really good. And his yeah. single's called Like Summer. We'll link it because it's mm, brilliant. It's fantastic. And then the final one is recognising Gina Martin, who mm. was walking along looking fabulous as she always does. Um, this is the girl who started the upskirting campaign and is getting that bill through Parliament, which we covered in episode five, I think. And I just saw this girl and I was like, wow, I love your T-shirt. We both totally checked her out. So she walked past <laughs> us. And we were both we were both just staring at her, um, and she had these big black sunglasses on, so we didn't really notice who she was. Like we didn't. What's her t-shirt say again? Any doubts? Any doubts? Question mark. So we both checked her out, and then as she was walking, she was on my side. She walked past me, and I just thought, oh my god, that's definitely her. That's definitely her. And then told Charlotte, and then Charlotte went, of course, that's her. That was a great outfit. (laughs) And then later on, we saw her speak on a panel Mm. with um, Cara. Uh, who has been doing the repeal the eighth mm, um, as part of refinery twenty nine? As part of refinery twenty nine, mm. so she was behind the whole kind of home to vote hashtag, mm-hmm. um, and it was just a really brilliant event. We love speaking to her, so just filled with wonderful people, as well as Anna and Clara. We can't go without mentioning them. Oh god, them. no! We shared that whole experience um, with them. It was so fantastic. Anna is the girl that uh, produced the mental health film that I went to see a few weeks ago and talked about on this podcast, and she will also be a guest coming up. And Clara is her wonderful little sister. A, lot, a few other highlights this week. Beyonce's <laughs> article in Vogue. Did you read this? No. So I'll touch a bit more on it um, in the third section because it's also sort of to do with. Um, ancestry but she's talking about you know discussing childbirth and twins and you know her marriage and relationships and her past and oh it's such a great article and and essentially the september issue is the most famous issue um in vogue september and it's i think the first ever african-american photographer with the first ever african-american on the cover of the September issue. So she's going to be on the cover? She is on the cover. She is on the cover. Yeah. Why is the September issue out and it's only August? Oh, that happens with all magazines. Oh, okay. Yeah, they always come out about three weeks before. Yeah, (laughs) because it's sort of, 
it's sort of looking forward to September. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I can't believe I didn't know that. Yeah, I know too, <laughs> but it's fine. It's probably Ugly Betty that taught me that. Um, <laughs> uh, another thing was that I saw... Uh, on BBC about shark spotting drones. I don't know if you've heard of this. So this is really cool. So in Australia, especially, so when I was there in um, January, in every beach you went to, you just have to count the choppers. They'd just be coming over all the time, all the time, and they're looking for sharks, basically. And when you get a warning, they have beamed this really loud kind of message and all the swimmers kind of come out of the, yeah. the water. And especially this year, they've had so many sharks. Anyway, so these drones, what they do is they fly above the beach... They're 90% accurate in that they can spot a shark. If they, if they spot a shark, they will um, send a signal and a loud message down to all the swimmers. If they see humans that are stranded, they will then um, drop inflatable, like, what are they called? Like, floats. Yeah. Um, and they rescued, and there were, like, two boys that were rescued um, in April for That's that That's really that cool. Yeah, all drones, all... Com- all Controlled by the lifeguard on the beach. Which is going to save so much money because the choppers just eat up the tax. And save lives. Yeah, and save... Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> I'm particularly interested in sharks and that's interesting. Um, and lastly, I listened to a really interesting double episode of Daily, which is one of my favourite podcasts. And it was on Roe versus Wade, which we've talked a lot about abortion repeal the eighth mm. on, this, on this podcast. And this is absolutely fascinating. They're really getting to the nitty gritty of the origins of this law. And it will actually shock you as to why those sorts of things came to be and actually what the history is behind it. And actually, Mm. when it was passed originally, no one really batted an eye. And it wasn't until... um, Essentially, what happened is that the government stopped giving tax breaks to evangelical schools after desegregation. And so all of that evangelical movement now needed to get involved in politics. And one of the things they picked up on was this sort of moral righteousness, want to make America more moral and what have you. And they take you through the whole story of who Jane Roe is. She was actually a woman named Norma. Um, And actually it was the the evangelical movement that started this new right that we know now. Um, And they made abortion one of the most polarising, you know, issues in American politics I mean it really is so divisive another thing that also caused um the uh Roe v Wade to become such an issue was actually the feminism movement that was really picking up in the 70s used abortion rights as a way of platforming all women's issues so then people started to associate it with feminism and they're like we are not gonna have this no 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 you're these liberal Democrats, which then were sort of seen as far left. Very interesting. It was actually Republicans that first passed the bill. Very interesting. I'll listen to that episode. Yeah, it was fantastic. I I had to share it. I I cannot wait for you to listen to it. Great. Uh, I have listened to another brilliant episode of How to Fail, uh, which you recommended to me. I mean, I'm catching up slowly, (laughs) uh, which was Dolly Alderton. And I think that the way that she talks about empathy and sensitivity and she's she talks very movingly about her experiences but at the same time she's just wonderful and funny uh so i'd really recommend that and then the final thing to say is that we have a correction to make thank Mm. you to my dad yeah thank you serena williams is not actually the top uh what would you say she hasn't had the most grand slams of her like for most of, 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 of all time of a single player it's actually Margaret Court yeah who had 24 24 Serena Williams is on 23 so she may well end up becoming e- even or 
above. Uh, but interestingly, when you type into Google who has the most Grand Slams, Serena comes up, Steffi Graf is next. Yeah, Steffi so, Graf and then Roger Federer. Yeah, exactly. So that's um, an interesting thing to find that Google had not picked mm. up on that my dad had. I know. The only thing that I knew about Margaret Court is um, from the film Battle of the Sexes, who, um, and she's very Christian and very, uh, very homophobic. Uh, the character in that film. Um, I haven't done enough research into her personally, I don't know. Mm. You know, I'm sure that that is that is true. Uh, just that I heard that when I was in Australia in January that actually there was a movement to rename a few things that had been named after her just because she had been attached with a, a fairly anti-gay uh, viewpoint. The first figure that we're going to talk about today is Jackie Kennedy Onassis, who was the first lady of America when JFK uh, was president. And I'm going to open with a question. Mm -hmm. What did you find most shocking to discover when you were looking into her? I hadn't realised that she had had so many miscarriages and stillbirths in such a short space of time. And I, I didn't, I sort of first learned about her watching the miniseries The Kennedys, which came out in 2011, and that sort of took you through when they met, Jackie and Jack. And then they had a second series in 2016 called After Camelot, and that's basically her story after mm. JFK's death. I really want to watch that. Yeah, they're really good. And, I've and Katie Holmes is beautiful as Jackie Kennedy. She really is so good. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to just explain who, uh, how many stillbirths and miscarriages in the order that they came in? Yes. Because I think it's really... I, I had no idea about that either. Yeah. Um, so... They got married in 1953, and they had a very, I mean, just context. Uh, thanks to the History Chicks podcast, which I'm going to link below, um, which gave me even more extensive knowledge. He was a serial philanderer, as was his father, jo Joseph Kennedy. And the Kennedys were basically a machine and just a absolute I mean absolutely incredible how they built his campaign the public image all of the press releases that were so they kind of built them up to be this like almost kind of royalty like mm. the royal family is for us yeah anyway so Joe spotted really quickly that Jackie was just the perfect wife mm. for Jack she was incredibly smart incredibly beautiful there was something captivating about her and basically orchestrated the whole thing and Jack was, you know, had no interest in getting married. You know, he was off dating everyone and everyone. Um, <laughs> and uh, so they got married in 53. They, within, I think, they, the History Chicks reconfirmed this, but within a few years, they were in, I think within the first year of marriage, they were already, she was going to France for the summer, he was going to Sweden, he was, you know, dating and sleeping around. She was there. She basically wanted a divorce because he went straight, to other women and it was Jack's father that tried to convince her to come back for the presidential race um, because you can't have a divorce if you want to be president gave her allegedly gave her a lot of money in her own name which when she was oh, younger money was always a problem so she was yeah. always worried about money and very scared and her dad was an alcoholic mm -hmm. so it's her parents divorced when she was only 10 or 10. 11 10. and 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 um I think that money was quite, at least it meant for her security. Mm. Anyway, I think it was within, I believe six years, she had had an early miscarriage. She had given birth to a stillbirth child who they named Arabella by emergency caesarean. Um, she gave birth to Caroline um, just a few years before his presidential race. So she was 
so young when he became president, I think four or five. Um, she then had a stillbirth, Patrick, and she also gave birth to John Jr. And um, So Caroline and John Jr. were the only ones who survived yeah. out of five pregnancies. pregnancies. Yeah. That's a God, lot. And, that's... Then, and then Jack died, you know, six months later. Her husband. Yeah. So she so experienced much so much loss, um, yet managed to put always put on this facade of mm. a Camelot. Mm. And they even talk about the history chicks. This is talk about on her wedding day. Her father had got too drunk to walk her down the aisle. She knew that Jack was sleeping around. Um, so much pressure from all the press, and it was just awful. And yet she looks the most like happy, radiant, relaxed bride. Yeah. And this was key for her because that's exactly what she did for her whole life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the portrayal that Natalie Portman does in the more recent film Jackie, Mm. um, which she was nominated for an Oscar for that film, Mm. I think that they show that public-private side of her so well in that film and that she was so aware of the importance of the public image and what the public needed, especially when JFK had been assassinated. Absolutely. That time of America, that climate was very, very turbulent. And she just kept it together. And, uh, yeah, I think that the... Are they, I mean, in any representation of her, they always have the pink Chanel suit. Of course, that's a very famous one. Yeah, it, it's just really interesting to hear Natalie Portman talk about it as well because she thinks that Jackie would have known exactly the significance of refusing to take that off because it's been completely unapologetic for this awful thing that has happened to her husband who I think she was happier with at that point yes no they they definitely they definitely went through ups and downs I think that they got closer as the extreme celebrity got bigger which mm. i think is kind of understandable mm. and that, as they had more children um and they said that that was probably the best time of their relationship even though in the film they do suggest they famously were the first couple to have separate rooms in the white house and she the character in jackie does say that they still had that but um now since Donald and Melania, that's also true for them apparently <laughs> um uh but but apparently they were closer Mm. Um, but to be honest, no matter who you are, even if you're sat next to someone you dislike, you know, and they've got their bra- you know brains and guts all over you, you're going to feel yeah. incredibly traumatised. But I mean, as Natalie Portman said in this interview, she she probably wanted nothing more than to take this suit off, but she knew mm. that this was how to mark the mm. tragedy mm. of this and how to make that story last because it needed to last because it was so awful. Mm. I also didn't know this about her, that she was fluent in French and Spanish. Yeah, she gave speeches in Spanish. And she did, and that was a, another thing that was key to his campaign is she could speak to lots of different ethnic groups in Spanish and French, um, as well as being able to translate loads of documents um, oh, I didn't for know that. speeches. And she also helped write loads of his speeches, and she was sort of confined, so to speak. She had so many turbulent pregnancies, um, just before on his in his presidential race, she was pregnant. Um, she gave birth, I think, just before he was sworn in. Can you imagine giving birth and then going to an inauguration ball like a month later? That's just horrific. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, uh, so she was sort of a key driving force uh, behind the scenes, and people were just captivated by her. She sort of became this kind of American princess. Yeah. 
brand that everyone and, wants and to And they be covered like. that so well in that episode of The Crown. Yes. Uh, where she kind of turned Paris and completely charmed them. Everyone. And then, I don't know how much of it is actually true. true. It, it is, it is. Is it? It is true, yeah. And the way that the Queen was exactly the same age, yeah. I think. Exactly. And yeah. then felt so sort of intimidated, I guess, by mm. this incredibly glamorous woman who mm. would just own a room mm. that the Queen ended up making a really huge political statement in going to Ghana mm. and that persuading them yeah. not to rock the boat on the Commonwealth yeah, and did this beautiful so foxtrot. I love that scene. Apparently loads of people apparently loads of people have Googled whether that's true. I don't know about the Ghana Commonwealth. I don't I know if it's true. I, either, I know but... I know that Jackie did charm absolutely everyone yeah. that she met and she did do that all the time when she was with Jack on tour. Yeah, but again, um, they showed the, the very good public-private and I really yeah. like the scene in that where Claire Foy, who plays the Queen, um, goes in and shows her around the apartment and, of course, Jackie was the one who completely redesigned the White House and made it into more of a kind of museum. And that was the first time I think they'd ever had cameras inside the White House. Yes, it was, and yeah. And takes you through the whole... And I think as well in Jackie, and I think I got this listening to to lots of different... and reading things about her, she was, just a very, she was actually a very fragile... Yeah, incredibly insecure. Sensitive, very insecure person. And I love that what, this, what she says to the, the Queen in this episode of The Crown is that she is a very shy person. And as a shy person, you look for somebody who's strong. But somebody who's strong quite often wants the limelight and wants the power. Yeah. And then you end up having this completely ironic relationship where the shy person has to be in the limelight yeah. because of their partner. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's they talked, exactly what happened, yeah. wasn't it? Um, I, I, I think... With with Jackie Kennedy, um, she then late, later goes on to marry a very very wealthy Greek billionaire, I think Aristotle mm. Onassis, and I think and that was very private, and I think that was really good in the sense that she was then able to escape all of the media attention because she was pretty much on her own after mm. he died, mm-hmm. um, and then she became an editor, and then she well yeah, and then after Aristotle Onassis passed away, she then moved permanently to New York and became a writer. And an editor. And she had been a journalist, I think, in her she own had. 20s. Yeah, she had. But she helped um, publish and edit, I believe, uh, memoirs of Michael Jackson. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. And the fun fact that I have on mm-hmm. J- Jackie Kennedy is that apparently JFK had some back problems and they ended up putting... They found that his legs were uneven, so they made some of his shoes slightly... Um, higher than the others and then that helps his back pain and then Jackie Kennedy also had one leg that was like a quarter of an inch I think shorter than the other one and so all of her shoes have a quarter of an inch added to the heel that's so cool yeah so cool what a good fun fact I know the second figure for this week is that Apple Podcasts as of this year has reached 50 billion downloads with over 500,000 podcasts being available, which is huge. Staggering. And just to put that into context of how much they've grown in popularity recently, mm. uh, in 2005 is when iTunes launched podcasts. So in 2014, they had 7 billion downloads. 2016, they had 10.5 billion downloads. 2017, they had 13.7 billion. And then in March 2018, they announced that the all-time sort of figure was 50 billion. 
which is just a lot of downloads so and streaming. So many. And this is going to be a very meta uh, segment in that it's a, a podcast episode about a podcast. <laughs> That's what meta means. Um, but let's open with some questions again. Mm-hmm. What are your favourite things about listening to podcasts and why do you think they've become so much more popular? Um I think what people love about podcasts is that you, it's almost like, you know, when you're at home and you're maybe home alone and you turn on the TV just to have like the TV on Mm -hmm. and you kind of just, you feel as though you have that comfort of something there. I think at its essence, that is why people love podcasts. And then we have now over 500,000 different shows to choose from, meaning that we can then learn and listen to things that take our interest. It's almost like a, it's a bonus. Mm. Um, because actually what I love about podcasts is the familiarity of who's hosting the podcasts. Um, I like that I can literally search anything that I am interested in and lots will come up. Um, and that it's just a really easy... I just can't believe we hadn't had them before. I mean, it's like yeah. having a radio, but you can do segments of the radio show. You know, if you have a two-hour radio show, you can have a 15-minute se- section on feminism or whatever latest pop culture. I just can't believe we hadn't had that before. It's, it's sort of the, yeah. the joy of listening to an audio book, but it's not, a, you know, it's not yeah, fiction. Yeah, absolutely. And I would agree with all of those things, but I think I would also add that I like the multitasking aspect of it. Mm. I am definitely a multitasker, mm. and I love that I can be cooking or walking somewhere or even just getting up in the morning, I put a podcast on and I'm doing my makeup and getting dressed, and you have that in the background. And mm. unlike TV, or which sometimes you really want to do and you want to sit still and you don't want to listen you to can't anything. watch you, the TV the whole time, but you can have it in your ear the whole time. Yeah, which exactly. Which is really cool. Exactly. The commute is where I listen to podcasts. Yeah. And it's just so great. It means you just have a great commute or going for a walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or even doing your makeup where you can't watch the television while doing yeah. your makeup. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And the other thing that I love about podcasts is that it is... It puts the emphasis on the thoughts, the feelings, the ideas, the opinions, rather than what somebody looks like. And mm. I think this is particularly important when it comes to female-hosted podcasts, because mm. more than men, there is an emphasis on what women look like. Mm-hmm. And with podcasts, it's what they are sounding like. Or radio, traditionally. Or radio, exactly. Um, and I just think it's really liberating in some ways that we can do this. And I love that we've got our own podcast I know. for that reason. It's sort of funny for us to talk about how much we love podcasts. Because obviously we love podcasts. Because <laughs> we're doing our own podcast. And what was so great about The weekend is that I met people like Venetia Faulkner, who do Talking Taste Buds. Bryony Gordon, who does Mad World. Um, Emma Gannon. Does Control you, you know, those people are part of the reason that we do our own podcasts. Yeah. And um, I have to obviously say shout out to the queen that is Deborah Francis White because... The <laughs> I guilty... thought you were going to say the actual queen. No, no. But she she is a into... queen. She is a queen, but <laughs> not that got, queen. She got um, you into podcasts. That got me into podcasts. I thought this is absolutely brilliant. And when I first... Which is the guilty feminist, the, if you yeah, haven't listened to that The guilty feminist. And when I first heard it I thought god do all podcasts need to be like a, a comedy panel show because I'm not a comedian um and obviously it, they <laughs> Although don't I obviously think you're very funny <laughs> Lots of Charlotte is great for my ego <laughs> I'm not that funny <laughs> um and so then I started listening to loads of other types of podcasts and just thought oh my gosh it's infinite what you could do and it, it, that was definitely one of the reasons why I mm. started listening 
So other than The Guilty Feminist, what are your other favourite podcasts and what would you recommend in general? Okay, I think everyone knows these, but I'm going to keep going through them again. And then you'll have them all in one place. We'll list them all in the show notes. Okay. And then if you are ever stuck for podcasts to listen to, you can just go to this and then scroll through and we'll have a big list of all of our favourite podcasts. Absolutely. So, um, The Daily by New York Times absolutely love that podcast this is in no particular order by the way because i can't pick an order um (laughs) this is more news the daily gives you it's they're incredible they've done 320 episodes they come out every single day they're 20 minutes and the week unwrapped friday morning commute amazing yep love that one um the hilo show obviously hilo is another reason we do our own podcast that was the first podcast so inspired by them uh um desert island discs Mm -hmm. um Question on that. Do you think that podcast is helping the comeback of radio? Yes. And do you think that radio is having a comeback? Oh, I don't know if radio is having a comeback, but I think is podcast it, is, it, is the future. Is it bringing it into a different generation? Maybe that's yes. a better different way that's of phrasing what, it. Yes, excellent point. That is what it is. Because if people I, appreciate radio so much more now. And now when we're listening to podcasts, and I can... So many times I was so annoyed with my dad listening to the radio in the car. And yeah, you know, I hate like it. Women's Hour, that's on the radio. Yes, and yeah, and I love Women's Hour so much. Mm. But I'm never available at, is it 11 o'clock? Mm. I don't even know when it's on the radio. I no. always listen to it as a podcast. Absolutely. But I can just go back and I can scroll through and my mum mm. can say, oh, this episode was really good because she does normally listen to it live. Mm. Or my godmother, Sarah. And I just love that I have it there. And same with Desert Island Discs. You can mm. just pick and choose when you want to listen to it. And, and who you want to listen yeah. to. Um Oh, who else? I mean, Talking Taste Buds. I love that podcast. I love Control at Delete. And Get It um, Off Your Breasts. Get That's it another off your one breasts. which Emma That's Gannon's done. Uh, uh, there's so many. And now I've like completely, they've just kind of gone. Like, I'm going to add to the list. Yeah, go for it. Love Stories, series by Dolly Alderton. Absolutely. Uh, Late Night Women's Hour, which has now got its own podcast presented by Lauren uh, Laverne, which mm. I absolutely love. And... Happy Mum, Happy Baby. We've mentioned that before. Oh, God. That is like a hug in a podcast. Yes, Happy Mum, Happy Baby. And also a podcast called um, Soul... Super Soul. Super Soul. Oh, Fresh Air. Oh, Fresh Air. Those are the American ones. Oh, Guys, We Fucked. Love that podcast. Started out as an anti-slut shaming podcast. It's now activism. It's amazing. Everyone listened to it. Especially the Amanda Knox episode. Slightly controversial, but really good. Um... I also really like Happy Place by Fern Cotton, <gasps> and Happy I'm Place is so looking forward to another series I of that. I cannot wait for Happy Place. That's one about, where well, it's all guests, and they talk about their, I, think it's, I guess it's about mental health in some ways, but it's just... Just what's, what's your happy place? What's your happy place, exactly, yeah. and it's, they've got some brilliant, brilliant guests. Fern Cotton is such a good interviewer. I yeah. loved the episode with Kirsty Young, we mm. listened to that together in Bali with one ear piece each yeah it's one of my favorite things to do with you actually is yeah. to listen to a podcast together and then pause discuss, we always pause and discuss and play don't we? Yeah, <laughs> so true. um i am also a big fan of fintech insider we went yes, to see we a live, the live. that i so enjoyed that that's so bite-sized for someone who is not in tech or or finance or anything and it's just so interesting it's really interesting and it's it's funny as well very funny um and very informed and intelligent and the final one I would say is Great Leap Years by Stephen Fry, mm. who it's more like an audio book in that it's just him speaking. So that's my final recommendation. Fantastic. Any other questions? Nope. Other than go get listening to some podcasts. <laughs>
The third figure that we're going to be talking about today is a still from the music video Ape Shit that was produced by the Carters, aka Beyonce and Jay-Z. And actually, significantly, they describe it as the Carters, which they previously haven't really done. No. They normally do Jay-Z feet Beyonce or oh. Beyonce feet Jay-Z. And that's a element of their whole album together. It's very much them coming together and producing music hand Every, in hand. It's called Everything is Everything Love. Everything is Love, yeah. And so we first saw this when uh, we went to see Beyonce and Jay-Z on their tour. And it's when they dropped their album oh. at that moment yeah. and then they played this video and uh we went apeshit to say the least charlotte actually exploded <laughs> <laughs> to explain the video it's basically them in and around the louvre in paris running like literally dancing with their dancers them together in front of the mona lisa in front of lots of famous the winged sculpt- victory of samothrace which and is my mu- favorite is sculpture uh, Venus de Milo. Venus de Milo. The coronation of Empress Josephine. Yeah. The raft of Medusa. And they're seen in front of all of these things. And when I first watched it, I didn't straight away grasp the significance that you obviously did, because obviously this is, you know, yeah. this is your area well, of, of Well, of the reason that interest. I was so overwhelmed by this video is that I think that it's doing exactly what we need to make art come alive yeah. because um, as the art historian Alexandra Thomas said it is an embodied intervention of western art yeah. in that it's not some people have been talking about pulling down sculptures or pulling down paintings or that are symbolic of slavery and colonialism and racism mm. and while I agree that it's I don't like giving them a platform obviously but I think that what is a much more constructive way of dealing with this is to be additive rather than to be subtractive and so by putting beautiful black people into the Louvre which is probably the most symbolic of western elite classical art is exactly the kind of shake up that the art world needs and I just find it really exciting and moving and really moving and just to give some context as well I'm going to read out three quotes the first is from Beyonce who said I think it was important to my mother to surround us with positive powerful strong images of African and American art so we could see ourselves in them and this is what's so important that if you were walking around the Louvre as a black person you would see so few representations And those representations that you would see would be anonymous, such as the portrait of a uh, negress and sexualized as well, which is another element of um, what art sort of did. In the 1880s, they had these postcards that were taken in areas of the British French Empire and they were very sexualized. And then this kind of spread all the way through Europe. And it's just... It's putting an angle on this and putting it into such... It's actually making art out of art. Mm. Um, And I just thought it's so inspiring. Um, Second quote is from Jay-Z. The strongest thing a man can do is cry to expose your feelings, to be vulnerable in front of the world. And I think... I'd really like to hear your thoughts on that quote, actually. What, for a man crying? Yeah, no, just Jay-Z saying that, because yeah. I think that you've been really interested in the fact that he cheated, and he... I think Everybody knows in- that he's cheated. I think everyone's been interested And then in they've that. come together, and they've made this. And, yeah. the, I mean, the line is in the fil- in the um, song, Can't Believe We Made It, right? Yeah, yeah, that is a great line. Um, really great line. And actually, in her Vogue article, she 
says something really profound, which sort of relates to this. Mm. Um, I'm just going to read it. It says, I come from a lineage of broken male-female relationships, abuse of power and mistrust. Only when I saw that clearly was I able to resolve these conflicts in my own relationship. Connecting to the past and knowing our history makes us both, both bruised and beautiful. I researched my ancestry recently and learned that I come from a slave owner who fell in love and married a slave. I had to process that revelation over time. I questioned what it meant and tried to put it into perspective. I now believe it's why God blessed me with my twins. Male and female energy was able to coexist and grow in my blood for the first time. I pray that I'm able to break the generational curses in my family and that my children will have less complicated lives. Wow. Interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. So she's also alluding there that that's one of the reasons why she yeah. and Jay-Z made it, so to speak. Yeah. Like and I think that the, but the vulnerability of Jay-Z and him having... I guess it's this, the strength to be vulnerable. Yeah. Is very much portrayed in this whole album and the yeah. way that they've worked through things together. And they sing this line, can't believe we made it in front of this painting, which is called The Raft of Medusa, which is very much about the kind of survivors. I know. And they made it to the Louvre, they made yes. it here, yes. they made it in front of all of this sort of very traditional Western art, and yeah. they are here with all of their dancers, these gorgeous black dancers everywhere. Yeah, and I think that that's really important because they are they kind of become the rulers of yeah. the Louvre, and they, they become the most beautiful things in the museum. Yeah, And that's done quite deliberately, I think, and they are quite still as well. There's lots of frames where they just become part of mm. this... And, and crucially, when she's in front, when she's dancing with the Venus de Milo um, sculpture. sculpture, she's dancing next to it, not concealing it. And that just carries yeah. on from what you said yeah. earlier about yeah. trying to be added to I think the other thing about those sculptures in particular, Venus de Milo and um, the winged victory of Samothrace, they are not skinny coat hanger you know, women that we see... Who you barely in, see in that art, we see. by the way. Can yeah, I just exactly. Say, you just don't see that anymore. But <laughs> in the sculpture, they just are so incredibly beautiful. And I think the the Winged Victory of Samothrace is my favourite sculpture in the entire mm. world. I will... There's nothing that we'll I think do, is more we'll beautiful. We'll have to do a section just on that yeah. sculpture. But it's my favourite shot, actually, as well, of that. I and mean, partly because of the sculpture, but just the curves of this woman in the sculpture is sort of echoed by Beyonce's amazing mm. figure as well. Mm. And then they have these white steps, which is just so powerful. And then they've got black bodies in different shades on each step, just moving. Mm. And it makes the whole thing just absolutely flow. Yeah. And it makes it just such a beautiful shot. I love it. Um, I've completely gone sidetracking. That's all right. Third quote. Uh, it is about establishing a new order in which black bodies seize and command cultural and physical spaces from which they have traditionally been excluded and are typically marginalised. And that was James Small who said that. Yeah. I think it really sums up what I this think it is does. about. And I think as well, like, I don't think that before reading British by Ethel Hirsch mm. and before really becoming aware of this sort of thing, Growing up and, you know, in school and we talk about this a lot, that, you know, we're not really taught about this in history. I just didn't notice that that was a no, thing that was excluded I. from art. I just no. did not notice. And then when I did realise, I just thought, oh my God. Yeah, and it's the power of somebody, yeah, going through a gallery and not seeing anything that they can empathise yeah. with. And worse, the only thing that they could see might be a slave. Right. So for example, Olympia, which is a very famous painting in the Musée d'Orsay by Manet, 
is of a white prostitute, but she's got a black slave in the background mm. who's bringing her flowers from a client. Mm. And it's things like that that we mm. just need to bring the narrative into these places. I think that's uh, reflected as well in the TED talk that yeah. we watched because that person is very much small and shrunken and in the background. Yes, exactly. Um, and this is one of the most brilliant TED talks I've ever seen. I would so highly recommend that you yeah, watch it. And this lovely. is why I kind of got this the significance of Beyonce's mm. and Jay-Z's video. Because he essentially tells the story of him going to what is which gallery is it in New York? Is it the National History Museum? It could have been, yeah, Natural Natural History Museum with his sons. And yes. Teddy Roosevelt is on the horse. Yes. And he's got an African-American and an Indian, American Indian. And his son asks him, why do they get to, like, why, why are they, they get, not on horses? Why do they not to be on horses? Like, why why are they, they have walking? To walk yeah. Yeah, and he said he couldn't answer it. Exactly. And it's the kind of question of, I mean, yeah, it's like we could have another whole segment yeah, on this could. of do we pull these down because that has been kind of widespread in America mm. and across Oxford University. They talk about bringing down the sculpture of Cecil Rhodes. It's all yeah. very controversial. Baden Pal House, that's why I did all my exams. Yeah, yeah. F.W. Hirsch talks about Napoleon as well, yeah, who Napoleon. was actually a real defender of slavery, which I didn't fully realise. No. And I j I've got mixed feelings about this because I think that, yeah, I think we need to be bringing, let's be additive, let's bring yeah. it up and let's make people aware of what these people have done, but let's not tear it down. And what I'd love to see is more sculptures of people like Mary Seacole, who was a nurse in the Crimean War mm. and who I didn't know about at all until I Neither read I. Jenny Murray's book, 20, uh, 21 Women of Britain. Um, but yeah, so this TED talk by Titus Kaffar, he did a module of history of art um, at university and it was actually so that he could ask his now wife out because he wanted to uh, impress be, her. be impress her. <laughs> Great. love. And it was one of those modules where they try and cover the entire history of art in one module, which I've done. And I mean, I, it's sort of crazy. I don't know why they continue to do that. And they had one module which was on black artists and black people in art both combined in something like in 15, one module in 15 pages out of a book that was something like or a, a section that was I like mean, 450 yeah, yeah so he was waiting for ages to get to this really small mm -hmm. section and then the day of the class his professor said oh sorry we're down time we're yeah we're and he just skipped it just skipped it and and he said then said there are more about dogs in history and the significance of dogs and yeah. animals yeah. than there are of black people and What's interesting, because I did history of art um, at university as well, and we, I don't think that I covered a single um, non-white artist yeah. other than um, a Weiwei. I can't think of anybody, which is horrendous. Mm. <laughs> I hadn't even noticed. This no. is the thing that you just, we need, it, it just wakes you up to Absolutely. the imbalance that we've got. Um, but what did really frustrate me with some of the modules is that we would have lectures on women artists and I just thought it's actually perpetuating the problem that we're combining several women into one lecture because heaven, you know, God forbid that they actually take up an entire lecture mm. and why, why specify that it's women either? Mm. Just let's just appreciate their art. Like mm. Bert Morisot, who was this uh, impressionist, her art is absolutely beautiful and warrants... It, you know, several lectures, but they just separated it. And mm. I guess it's giving emphasis to it to make us aware of 
how rare it was, I guess. Absolutely. But I don't think it's helpful. And I just want it to be spread evenly and to be mm. more balanced and more equal. Another thing coming from the Vogue article that um, Beyonce is in this uh, this issue is that she used, like I said, it's the first African-American uh, photographer ever to shoot um, a cover of Vogue. His name is Tyler Mitchell and he's 23 mm-hmm. years old. Um, and she basically is saying that there needs to be various perspectives behind the lens or behind the brush in order to have more diversity in front of the lens or on the canvas. Completely agree. Um, and she said, she basically, she quotes that if people in powerful positions continue to hire and cast people that only look like them, sound like them, come from the same neighbourhood, they will never have a greater understanding of experiences different from their own. Um, and everyone's voice counts and everyone has a chance to paint the world from their own perspective. And one last nugget from that article, and the reason I'm using it in this section is obviously because Beyonce is on the cover, but mm. she said the best moment from the On The Run tour, other than that we came, um, <laughs> was in the um, when they performed in the Berlin Olympic Stadium, um, where, and they stood in the same place where in 1936, Jesse Owens, the black American athlete, won four gold medals, destroying the myth of white supremacy amongst a Nazi Germany. Wow. I was like, that's really moving. I'm yeah. just to include that. That's really, really and amazing. they made it there, performing yeah. together, which was lovely. Yeah. The final thing that I'd like to share, which is passing on from the talk that we heard Efwa Hirsch do, um, who's the author of British, which is a book about race and identity and how we kind of cherry pick elements of history and we don't fully appreciate our, our, our bruises and our scars, I guess, and the things that we... uh, shouldn't be proud of we just don't even talk about it we don't even know about it so Mm. for example we focus on the abolition of slavery but completely ignore our involvement in it prior to that and that we started it yeah yeah and uh (laughs) and we celebrate William Wilberforce and all of the black people who helped this campaign and helped to bring it to an end are not known about and not given the platforms and the the sort of praise that they deserve I guess um and what she she had a question which was what do you think of positive discrimination in terms of race and diversity in the Mm. workplace and she answered it in such an eloquent way and I I really do agree with what she said she said that it's such an imbalanced playing field Mm. at the moment that unless we have those elements that you can't actually even out the opportunities and what I hope is that we come to a point where we don't need that anymore but right now we definitely do do need it we definitely do and I think that it would be silly to deny that we do yeah actually I I, I don't see a reason why we should not have quotas because that is going to be the way that we are going to disrupt the norm which now is very exactly exactly and it's books like slay on your lane which have just come out which again is just it's a it's called the black girl's bible i think and it covers everything from um hair to dating to your career and because those aren't represented in in mainstream pop fiction are they ever i never see a black character no exactly and i'm I'm just so inspired by all of this work and I just can't believe how ignorant I've been up until mm. reading about this and hearing podcasts about these books. Mm. And I'm looking forward to reading yes. more about it. We're going it. to link them all down below, so please go and check them out. Thank you so much for listening to episode 12. I can't believe we're on episode 12. We've got a dozen. I know. We're like eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You don't like eggs. Um, um, pretty, pretty, pretty please um, 
leave us a rating or a review because it really, really helps other people find the podcast. And given that there are 500,000 of them, we could really use your help. (laughs) (laughs) As always, you can contact us on Twitter and on Instagram. We're at figurepodcast. And you can email us at the figurepodcast at gmail.com. Until next week. Bye-bye.